This podcast is brought to you by LMU Munich. So I'll be talking about probabilistic causal inference from heterogeneous evidence, and that in particular includes mechanistic evidence. Um, the talk has an, has an analytic component in that I'll be asking conceptual questions about the ingredients involved in scientific inference in, in a pharmacological setting. It has a, it has a constructive component in that I'll be looking at a reconstruction of scientific inference. Um, and by being reconstructive in that sense, um, it, it'll have um, um, a descriptive flavor, uh, which, will, uh, with which I'll be starting. And I'm trying to use that to build, um, to build on that a more uh, normative idea. And I'll be discussing some, some things having to do with the, with the normative impact of our results in my concluding slides. So, um, yeah, evidence in medicine. You, we've seen that a couple of times now. Um, the the, the evidence-based medicine paradigm um, suggests this evidence uh, hierarchy uh, in, a in a lexicographic fashion, more or less. I'll briefly run through it again. At the top, you have these uh, systematic reviews. Just below that, randomized clinical trials, ob observational studies, and meta-analyses thereof. Uh, one step below that, comparative non-randomized studies, cohort case control studies, evidence of mechanisms for basic science, expert judgment, and uh, plus also uh, single case reports, case series, and very importantly, animal studies um, uh, feeding into decision-making in the pharmacological context. Um, so to generate reliable data in pharmacology, this uh, hierarchy seems to suggest that RCTs are the means of choice for confirming a drug's um, efficacy. But uh, our project uh, is focused on risk assessment, and my question will now, now be, what about risk assessment? Do the same, uh, does the same uh, proposal hold there too? Short answer, no it doesn't. Um, but let me motivate that with a bit of a, of, a, of a case study, a case in pediatrics, paracetamol and asthma. Um, so in the, in the second half of the last century, an asthma epidemic has been observed and that calls for, for an explanation, the suspicion fell on paracetamol after an important study done in, done in 98 by Varner and colleagues. Um, and you know, following that study, animal studies were conducted to test the effect of paracetamol on, on the respiratory airways and showed depletion of um, glutathione, which is an antioxidant. And uh, you know about these uh, things much more than I do, so let me just list them. Um, Observational studies uh, done consequently uh, uh, on humans seem to confirm the association and accumul accumulation of further biological evidence uh, kind of led to a very strong suspicion. But on the other end, you know, objections and uh, alternative theories were developed. For example, uh, uh, um, the asthma epidemic could be explained um, based on increased exposure to outdoor and indoor pollutants. Uh, reversely, it could be explained by the hygiene hypothesis where decreased exposure to bacteria and childhood illnesses during infancy led to this epidemic. Maybe it was diet change and oxidant intake. Maybe it was increased obesity and others. Um, so the case 
seems to be unsettled for the research needed. So let me relativize that. Depending on who you ask, the case is settled <laughs> um, and seems to be, so the, the link seems to be uh, disproven. But it's still a very nice historical episode. And um, let me just point out to you some of the, um, of the, of the points of discussion in the, in the literature. So um, not in chronological order, but just to you know, see how the discussion went there. Um, here's a paper that says a randomized placebo-controlled trial is required to address the above controversy, the one I just mentioned. Another paper says the uncertainty concerning the paracetamol asthma association has led to numerous calls for RCTs. Given the ethical and logistical concerns, an effective trial to address this issue may never be conducted, making balanced interpretation of the results from high-quality cohort studies essential. And yet another uh, paper concludes that causality cannot be established from the ISAC findings from the International Study on, uh, of uh, Asthma and Allergies in Childhood. However, when the study findings are considered together with other available data, there is substantive evidence that acetaminophen use in childhood may be an important risk factor for the development and or maintenance of asthma and that its widespread increasing use over the last 30 years may have contributed to the rising prevalence of asthma in different countries worldwide. So what this seems to suggest is that maybe if RCTs are not available, mm, something else could in principle be done. And that is kind of the motivation for, for, for our project and for this, for this presentation. So when RCTs are not an option, we still, uh, let me list some of the desiderata that we still want to uh, uh, get closer to. Um, the desiderata for an evidence amalgamation framework of some sort for uh, the purpose of causal assessment. It should allow for probabilistic hypothesis confirmation, yeah? We do not, ha we do not have to be certain, especially in risk assessment, when high expected disutility suggests a low confidence threshold. It must be able to incorporate heterogeneous kinds of data, as we saw in the last <coughs> quote. It must be able to integrate diverse types of inferential patterns um, in tracing the epistemic import of available evidence. So those are the, are the that, that was for us kind of a starting point that got the, the project going. And um, we found uh, another starting point in literature, uh, uh, in, in, in the Bayesian epistemology literature, importantly um, connected to the names of Luke Bovens and Stefan Hartman, who um, summarize in their 2003 book uh, much of a larger project aiming at um, explicating and relating uh, in, a, in a probabilistic fashion uh, the ingredients of scientific inference. Um, and here's a bit of a, of a graph. It's a Bayesian network, of course. I, I, I think in that audience I don't have to say what a Bayesian network is. Let me just point out that um, the graphical structure represents random variables and conditional and unconditional independencies. Um, so the, the graphical dependencies can be interpreted or are supported by uh, prob probabilistic independent independencies in the, in the background. Um, much has been said in the literature about how evidence uh, indicated here by, by REP for uh, evidential reports and a 
scientific hypothesis indicated by the by the hip node up there uh, might be related, right? And uh, Bovins and Hartman, um, much of their contribution to this kind of literature is that they introduce a middle layer between the theoretical hypothesis layer and the the concrete evidential report layer at the at the bottom. Um, they introduce a uh, theoretical consequence layer, um, an indicator layer, um, so as to indicate where or that a, a concrete piece of evidence doesn't speak for or against the theory directly, but it speaks to the theory um, via uh, uh, supporting or uh, uh, well or uh, uh, um, this. This confirming or taking away from 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 one of the theoretical consequences of a theory. Right? Um, so imagine a uh, a criminal investigation, right, where uh, the investigating detective comes up with a with a hypothesis or a theory about what happened at the crime scene. Um, um, he will, you know, draw all kinds of theoretical consequences. And uh, that might come as possible traces of the of the crime at the scene, right? And these theoretical consequences will guide the investigation, and matching evidence will confirm the theory by, uh, you know, being by, by by matching up with the with the traces that come out of the of the of the of the theory of what happened. Uh, Bowens and Hartman add one more note to this to this picture, um, a rel note for the reliability of an, of an instrument, or a witness, or a method. Um, and uh, the structure tells us that um, belief in the hypothesis up here, and belief in how reliable a method or a witness might be, are uh, uh, unconditionally independent. They become dependent, though, as soon as evidence comes in and fills that place down here, right? Um, so. If you know that the, you, that your hypothesis holds in reality, but you get but you get a negative report, right? That um, kind of will be explained by uh, by an unreliable method uh, or a or a non-trustworthy uh, witness, for example, right? So that's when they when those two notes those two notes become dependent. Um, sorry, all kinds of conditional independencies in the form of conditional probabilities are in the background. I'm just listing them. Let me just point out that whenever I'm using in this talk an arrow, it should uh, indicate a, a positive uh, correlation. All right. Now, in our case, we are talking about a causal hypothesis, right? About, uh, about risk. Now, what could be um, um, indicators or theoretical consequences of a, of a causal hypothesis? In, in pharmacology. Um, yes, let me maybe skip that, come to that later. Um, we found um, our indicators in uh, Sir Austin Bradford Hilt's very influential list from 1965, and it has been mentioned before too, so let me just run through the list. Again, he lists among uh, uh, the things you should consider when looking at evidence and assessing a causal relation, uh, the strength of the association that you find before you, the consistency of the, of the different pieces of evidence, the specificity of the, of the, of the link uh, of, the, of, the, of the data, 
um, the temporal structure having to do with order and distance. Um, um, the question if um, you see a biological gradient in your data. Um, the question how plausible your, um, your measurements fits in with, um, with other pieces of, of, um, of, firstly, evidence and contextual knowledge. Um, how coherent the evidence is. Um, how well it can be maybe reproduced or supported in an experiment. And uh, a further point, um, if maybe analogy supports your, your current uh, uh, theory too. What we did in a, in a paper that came out earlier this year is we kind of tried to uh, translate, still doesn't work, tried to translate Bradford Hill's criteria into a more modern terminology. Um, most importantly, it now uh, contains mechanistic knowledge on, on the right side. And uh, so the, the items we have uh, in our framework are now labeled rate of growth, dose response, probabilistic dependence, difference making evidence, uh, knowledge about, about the temporality of a, of a certain matter of fact, um, mechanistic knowledge, knowledge, relevance. We map uh, experiment on, on the empirical level or the methodological level, and we find inferential patterns um, amongst uh, Hill's list. Um, in the paper, we have a, a longer section on how we map different aspects of Bradford Hill's list onto, onto this uh, more modern terminology here. Uh, the details don't matter so much. It, uh, uh, um, it's much more important that um, we uh, kind of group, um, kind of in the, in the same way as uh, Daniel Steele, kind of distilled uh, his, uh, uh, his, his groups from the Bradford Hill list. We, we kind of distill uh, four different uh, groups from that list too. There's an evidential group here, right? So rate of growth, those respond, and so on. That's real, that really has to do with, uh, with how the evidence uh, um, is, well, um, what the evidence says then relevance is more about uh, the meta-evidential level. Uh, we have a methodological level and we have an inferential level, right? And you'll find those different levels in, in our framework. Um, since we are you know, looking at a Bayesian um, framework here, we can define, and let me go back to the last slide now, what confirmation and disconfirmation is in, in probabilistic terms, right? And I'll just put that slide up for, for clarification. Uh, so in, in, in the Bayesian setting, you can define confirmation to be you know, um, a, a boost in your belief in, uh, in the hypothesis given the evidence. So you define it in terms of conditional probabilities. Right? Um, I'll be speaking much more about or off uh, confirmatory support in what follows because um, this project is not so much about you know, establishing something which you know this confirmation might or confirmation might suggest but really about um, about uh, uh, changes or boosts in your <coughs> belief structure okay now uh, so here's Hill on his on his nine viewpoints again and let me just you know read the quote none of my nine viewpoints can bring indisputable evidence for or against the cause and effect hypothesis, and none can be required as a sine qua non. 
What they can do with greater or less strength is to help us make up our minds in the fundamental question, is there any other way of explaining the set of, the set of facts before us? Is there any other equally or more likely than cause and effect? Now, how can we bring uh, Hill's list and Bovens and Hartman's uh, Bayesian uh, ideas together? And here's the reference to the paper. Um, let me kind of try to, you know, uh, unfold uh, our ideas together with you. We started with the Bovens and Hartman 2003 paper. You recognize the, 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 the hook structure here. Um, in our case, um, the hypothesis is a causal hypothesis. Let me uh, use the circle C here to not, you know, um, to not um, suggest uh, any uh, specific reading or causal theory here yet. Just a new symbol, uh, circle C. Uh, the theoretical consequences at the middle level are indicators of causation, right? And you have a report note down here, evidential reports, and a reliability modulator, right? I'm thinking of, of reliability much of like a modulator that modulates the impact of your uh, evidence down here towards the hypothesis. Um, now, if you're in the business of you know, testing causal efficacy, um, EBM, uh, the EBM paradigm would tell you to plug an RCT down here um, at, the, at the report note. Um, and you'd be done, um, cum grano salis. Um, but RCTs are not an option here, so um, we might not be able to, you know, uh, gain direct difference-making information. So we might be looking at something like do uh, information about a dose-response curve, right? So let me let me use DR for dose-response, and you might have evidence, an evidential report for this dose-response, and uh, whatever method you're using, um, that comes with a certain reliability that modulates the impact of your uh, evidential report. Um, now, we're adding one more uh, note to this structure, RLV, for relevance, because say um, your evidential report comes from, uh, from some kind of animal study, right? Then you should be thinking about how relevant that kind of animal study is for your you know, future um, population of human drug users, right? And relevant, relevance should or will modulate um, um, the, the impact of your study then for, for the hypothesis. Um, right, so dose response is just one item on our, on our, on our modernized list, say. So here you have difference-making probabilistic dependency dose response rate of growth, mechanistic knowledge, temporal information, um, as a version of the Bradford Hill uh, criteria, all those indicators might come with their with their own set of uh, evidential reports um, and with their own you know information about reliability and relevance um, for those methods or uh, studies and. Um, for the for the for the sake of the of this presentation, I'm assuming that these strands are um, conditionally independent, conditionally on the on the causal hypothesis up here. The, this might be an oversimplification, and in you know real life uh, uh, situations, there might be cross dependencies here. But um, for what I'm going to be saying, uh, 
I'm assuming this conditional independence here, well, also up here on the theoretical uh, level, I'm assuming conditional independence of these of these indicator indicators. Not between all of them, uh, rate of growth, close response, and probabilistic dependency are are interdefinable because they're uh, they're defined in probabilistic uh, terminology. So they they should be well seen as 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 one cluster. Call it sigma the statistical property cluster, um, and there might be more. It's not an exhaustive list in, in, our, in our view, right? Um, right, so I'm not gonna go through this. I, I just wanna point out two, uh, two important things here that can be captured in, 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 in conditional probabilities. So that is an important uh, formula here, important uh, inequality. Um, um, if a report is relevant and reliable, uh, uh, reliable then uh, it will boost um, our confidence in one of the indicators, right? And since all <coughs> the arrows uh, indicate or uh, mark uh, positive correlations, that will bubble up to the, to the causal hypothesis, right? And, uh, confirmatorily support the causal hypothesis. That, that's the idea encoded in, 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 in that equation. And uh, one more equation down here, um, the mismatch between a positive indicator and a negative report, right, um, is explainable by pointing to the fact that this specific report is not reliable or not relevant, right? So that's that's just to give you an idea how the how the framework should should be working. And uh, he, here's a more fun way of looking at these things, right? Um, this is a snapshot of a of a of a toy. Uh, toy setting um, with toy numbers, right? Implemented in a BaseNet software package, uh, just to show you that we are looking at you know ways of implementing uh, the, the theoretical framework. So there, there are some causal hypotheses where, say, experts have agreed that they believe point three uh, in the in the truth uh, uh, of this causal hypothesis. Um, there's a dose response node here. Um, there, that, that comes with two report uh, nodes. Uh, one of the report nodes, you know, illustrates what might be going on in the in the back and what the, what the things are that we'll be looking at in, in you know in, in future work. Also, um, for example, reliability here might be influenced, you know, for one thing by the by the type of study that it, that that uh, this report encodes, but the reliability might also be influenced, and we've heard that in. in uh, come up in a couple of talks uh, um, by you know bias having to do with uh, with the social dimension right financing regulation reputation in the background right all of that can can be modeled in this in this Bayesian network where the numbers come comes from and how this is to be calibrated is a different question but um, uh, there's ways of you know integrating this kind of knowledge in, the, in this in this framework let's look at this one strand here though um, so. Here's a report node, report two, and it comes with a with a relevance node down here. So uh, let me uh, simulate what it might mean to you know uh, learn or to, to interpret this kind of data that now comes in. Um, and I'll be switching on uh, the report node down down here. I'll be switching on uh, the relevance node down here to indicate that I uh, that I know that this report that I'm that I'm getting. Uh, um, is 
is totally irre irrelevant, right? And nothing should happen for an irrelevant report now, uh, should happen up here um, to my belief in my causal hypothesis. So I'm switching it on now. You see, I'm, 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 I've just learned about the, this report note down here. I've also learned that it's totally irrelevant and nothing happened up here. So that's, that's a good thing. That's exactly how this uh, uh, network should be working. And now um, I'm learning that actually this report uh, is reliable, right? So I'm switching, I'm, I'm kind of uh, cranking up the, the relevance value for, uh, for this report node. I'm, I'm modulating the, the, the impact that that's what should be happening. And watch up here when I'm switching the relevance node to high. Now my uh, belief in the causal hypothesis holding has increased to, to 0.63. And now, you know, depending on your threshold, that should, you know, now guide your uh, decision making. All right, so just as an illustration. Um, so how should we go about assessing this relevance value encoded in the relevance variable, right? And this is, this is the way I, I'd like to think about these, these things. So if you zoom into, uh, uh, in on, onto the uh, uh, causal hypothesis here, um, we can unfold the causal hypothesis, right? And I want to unfold it to, to into a quadruple, namely um, uh, a certain drug causes some effect, some harmful side effect in a model M, in a structure M, uh, with some, or within some context U, right? And here's a, here's a, a general scheme of, of what I have in mind when I, when I spell it out like that. Um, so take this as a, as a schematic representation of a causal graph, or uh, um, where um, the squiggly line here indicates some more or less complex relationship between um, uh, a D node, the drug node, and some harmful side effect node here. Um, uh, there's uh, there's uh, uh, a context, the, the outer variables, so to speak, and uh, the whole thing is the the structure, a kind of encoding the conditional independencies. Um, here's an example of what that might look like, right? So if, if that is the general scheme, then this might be a concrete uh, 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 instantiation of, of what I have in mind here. So um, for a more or less well-described target population uh, U, uh, you might have this uh, causal graph where D and the drug and uh, the potential harmful side effect are, are uh, structured in such a way that two more variables are important for our causal assessment here. Now, uh, I've already said some, uh, something about the ingredients. D and E, I, I understand as variables uh, in, a, in a set of variables. Uh, U should be understood as a you know, specific set of variables that uh, demarcates the situation, the context, the world, the population, your Cedars paribus conditions, right? All that, uh, and where M is kind of the conditional independent structure, and encodable in a in a causal graph here. Um, I understand the this way of spelling out the the causal hypothesis as as a way of uh, uh, clearly stating what what it contrasts with, right? So choosing, defining, or relating the variables defines how the causal hypothesis can also be disconfirmed. You don't have any, you don't, you don't have confirmation without 
possibility of this conformation, right? So that is, that is important. And um, although I'm adopting a basement causal modeling lingo here, um, we, are, we are actually inviting different interpretations as to what these causal graphs might you know, be stand-ins for. You might interpret those structures differently, right? They might be potential interventions for the difference-making theorists. They might be counterfactual relations for the dispositionalist. They might be connected parts for the process theorist. They might encode belief propagation for the epistemic causal theorist. They might e even, uh, you know, uh, um, 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 indicate closed systems for the holist, etc. Right. So we're inviting all these readings here. Um, beyond the fact that a causal hypothesis can be confirmed or disconfirmed, you know, categorically speaking. Uh, incoming evidence could also be shaping your causal hypothesis, right? And here's a simple example. You might get evidence for, for an adverse drug reaction uh, in elderly people, and maybe only in el elderly people, right? So this was your original hypothesis. You were just, you know, starting with a, with a simple link between uh, your drug and your effect. Now you learn that actually um, in this population, this link holds for uh, maybe only for uh, some age above a certain threshold, and now what you can do now with this, um, with this, with these ideas is you can push your um, your cofactor here into the structure, right? By making it a node, and by pushing it in into the, the the causal graph. So unfolding the hypothesis to the quadruple now allows for two things. It al it allows for tracing the interplay between population characteristics and causal structure in a straightforward way. And it, it allows for tracing how incoming evidence, if it's deemed relevant, shapes the causal hypothesis to carve out those robust causal relations, right, that, that remain stable under intervention and changing context, and in other words, the, you know, the web of mechanisms, okay? Oh, when I'm saying carving, or when I'm using the word carve out robust causal relations, right, you can also think about that as narrowing down the class of uh, causal models that are compatible with your knowledge or with your, with your data, right, with your evidence. Um, and here's a more complex case study taken from the literature again, um, having to do with, again, paracetamol, but this time um, paracetamol sales as a, as a stand-in for, for paracetamol, um, done by Newson et al. in, in 2000. Uh, they give an ecological study to investigate whether the, the prevalences of asthma and other atopic diseases in children and adults are higher in countries with higher sales of paracetamol. And they have a large uh, uh, pool of data here. Um, so, so here's how you, how you might model their, their paper. G let me give you a summary here. You might start out with, a, with, a, um, with your suspicion, right? The suspected link between paracetamol and, and asthma for a very unspecified uh, uh, population. Now, um, you, get, you look at, 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 at your uh, pool of data and um, see that accumulating relevant evidence leads to a suspected causal association between paracetamol sales and asthma. So what you do is you insert a node that represents sales into your structure. 
Um, in that way, you augment the, the causal model, you make it richer. Um, but then what they, what they uh, came to conclude in their, in their paper is that this kind of uh, data that's, you know, you, you, you might see some line in here, right? Can be carved up in a different way, you know? And a, a coarser partition of population characteristic emerges. Uh, and I'm quoting from the paper, it was decided post hoc to carry out further regression analyses controlling additionally, uh, additionally for the anglophone effect. Right. And you see the partitioning here, right? For anglophone and non-anglophone um, uh, countries. You include that in your causal model and uh, accordingly, accordingly you, this represents their finding namely that the, that P's effects became non-significant, right? If you supplement that with the, with the, right, uh, with the, right, uh, um, with the right numbers in the background, okay? So that's one way of utilizing uh, uh, this way of uh, what causal models for, for spelling out what the content of your causal hypothesis might be. Um, I have two slides discussing some of the some of these uh, some of the implications of what, what I just showed you. Um, this slide is about uh, methodological debates we see in the literature, right? And uh, I mean, many of the proponents of different uh, uh, theories are here, so um, I thought I'd bring that. Um, let me point out this thing one more time. One more time. Um, we've heard a bit about different standards for causal assessment over the, over the co course of these three days. Now, in our paper, we argue that, um, that RCTs and difference making should be, you know, be distinguished um, because, you know, commonsensically, um, there are no uh, ideal RCTs, right? And we want, you know, the, the delta note, the difference-making note, to represent ideal uh, difference-making and RCTs, which would be, you know, be living at the, at the lower level of the, of the uh, evidential reports, they should be distinguished from, from, the, from the theoretical uh, uh, concept of, of difference-making. By doing that, we, we allow, you know, we open up for additional confirmatory support from the other pieces, you know, to the right side um, of, of, of evidence um, through other indicators, the Bradford Hillers. And those indicators might come in different weights, right? So it's not that difference making and temporal information should have the same weight, um, generally speaking. Uh, they might for, for certain uh, investigations, but not generally speaking. Um, and concerning EBM, this framework kind of allows to uh, locate the EBM reasoning, right? If you maybe uh, uh, neglect the right side of, of, of our uh, tree-like structure and only settle on the, on, on the first branches, right? That's, that locates EBM in, in the framework. And it also uh, locates uh, Rousseau-Williamson um, if you if you look at, at a select you know, set of, of branches um, in our framework. So that's where the, 
where the normative, you know, where, where we go beyond the descriptive part and, and normatively would like to say that uh, um, when you have more evidence, you know, uh, try to, you know, amalgamate it in a, in a standardized way and this might be a blueprint for doing that. Another debate uh, centers around modularity and ho holistic causation. Um, so if you think that ho holistic causation should find a place, you know, in, in this picture, um, in keeping the, the hypothesis, the causal hypothesis and the difference making node apart, right, we allow you to plug in your intuitions about holistic causation, right? Um, in other words, the causal hypothesis does not mean that uh, if, you're, if you're a holist or a potential holist about causation, causal hypothesis does not mean that you must be able to intervene necessarily, right? If you're a holist, there are uh, cases where you just can't, right? So we're, we're keeping those apart. And a, a third debate centers around uh, reliability and relevance, and we hope to, to contribute to that kind of literature by distinguishing the rel node and the, the RLV node, right? Because it allows for, for locating and contrasting different criticisms about, for example, RCTs, right? So uh, with John Worrell, you, you might you know, be criticizing RCTs for issues of, of reliability, right? Um, if you're Cartwright or Stegena, you might criticize RCTs for issues having to do with external validity and so on, right? And, and the framework allows you now to, to locate the different positions. So we hope to contribute to the literature in that respect. Now my second discussion slide is, is about um, the acquisition of knowledge about mechanisms. Now let me be precise a bit more about our M indicator. The M indicator on the second level, right? on the theoretical consequence level, um, is meant to encode the existence of a mechanism, right? And we, that came up in a couple of talks before this talk, too. Now, in many cases, concrete pieces of evidence on the report level, right, they support the causal hypothesis via M, right, by way of contributing information about sub-mechanisms, right? In very few cases, you have information about the whole mechanism, but you, you you gain information about sub-mechanisms. Um, so that, that's the idea that we're pursuing with, with this kind of, um, you know, uh, with, with this way of, of keeping the, the different layers separate. Of course, then, uh, you're looking at, at non-trivial questions of how to integrate these sub-mechanisms again to arrive at the, at the, at the full mechanism. But um, I'll leave that aside. But now, depending on so this is something that I'm working on at the, at, at the moment. Um, and I'd like to get your feedback on that. So depending on which concept of causation is chosen, right, for, for the circle C, and depending on how the concept of mechanism is spelled out, right, um, the epistemo epistemological topology um, connecting the, the, the two top layers, namely the causal hypothesis and our indicators, might have to be adjusted, right? So. For example, if you if you think that causation and mechanism should be should be flattened in a certain conceptually flattened right to, to a thin reading, um, because you are in line with say Perl's definition of causation, um, mechanisms are defined in a mathematical manner, 
uh, uh, and mechanisms and causation are interdefined, so to speak, right? Uh, then that might mean you, you'd have to link or even merge the causal hypothesis, the difference-making node, and the mechanism node, right? And your 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 topology might might shrink a bit. So what we're trying to do with this with uh, with the with the framework I showed you is we're trying to you know keep um, as you know as much of the conceptual uh, side um, explicit and independent and, uh, and, and 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 separate to allow for um, for for adjusting the framework depending on your you know uh, stance on, on on how this um, on how this should be looked at. Um, yeah, I, and I mean, uh, conversely, if you if you think that if, if if you want to uphold a concept of mechanism that uh, that is you know irreducibly qualitative uh, in character, you'd you'd have to say more uh, about how to um, how this kind of knowledge then figures in in a quantitative task such as uh, you know risk assessment, the way I propose it, and we have it in the paper. Right, so let me just summarize what, what we did in the paper and what, what I did in the presentation. Our starting point was that we needed a framework for causal inference when, when RCTs cannot be conducted, right? That, that was the starting point. We're looking at risk assessment. And when evidence is sparse and heterogeneous. Now, Bovis and Hartman's scientific reconstruction separates the conceptual levels and makes epistemic dynamics transparent. And our structure uh, disentangles now philosophical questions about causation from questions about diagnosis and methodology, the lower two levels, right? And the network models uh, accumulative learning and how evidence of different quality can be synthesized. And different kinds of uncertainty are made explicit probabilistically, right? And may point to gaps in, in justificatory arguments. So you have the reliability of evidence with bias and random error. You have the relevance of evidence that potentially downgrades reliable studies, right? You have confidence in the cause and hypothesis uh, 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 given as a prior and then updated uh, in, in the posterior. Um, and finally, different inferential patterns can be expressed within our belief propagation structure, having to do with coherence, con consistency, or one of my favorites, reasoning by analogy. But that's for a different talk, thank you.